Good morning, I'm Shirley, and I'll be reading the Bible this morning for us from uh, Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6 and to the end of the chapter. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, 
and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. <coughs> the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Hello. Oh, you replied, that's wonderful. In my old church, I had to do that a few times and then kind of look at them awkwardly before they go, oh, hello, Darwin, nice to meet you. Thank you, thank you for having me here today. I hope those who are sitting right at the top can see me. Can I get a signal if you can see me or not? Yeah, okay, great. Otherwise, I might jump into the pulpit. Um, <laughs> if you don't know who I am, my name is Darwin. I, I'm the new minister here. Thank you for the wonderful welcome. Uh, if, you don't, if you haven't seen Isaac, Isaac's wearing an I love Darwin t-shirt. <laughs> I'm sorry, Isaac, I don't have an I love Isaac t-shirt, but please tell me where you get that t-shirt because I think my wife wants one. <laughs> Thank you for the wonderful welcome. We, we've, we felt so loved and welcomed by the church. Uh, and I apologize if I forget your name or if I should know your name, but I kept asking for your name. I, I really do apologize. That's a, there are a lot of Janes and Joan and Junes out there. 
um, and I'm trying my heart to really get to know you. And that's, that's really my goal. I, I want to get to know each and every one of you. And it might take me a year, uh, but, but I'd love to be able to sit down with you, go and visit you, or have you come over, or, or have coffee with you, and have a real a meaningful pastoral conversation with you. I, I want to know how I can be serving you, how the church can be serving you. And that's, that's what I would hope to have. Uh, please be patient. It might take me a while to get to you. And thank you for those who, who have worn their name tag, or if you don't na- have a name tag and you, you come regularly, uh, please speak to Ed, come and tell me, or any of the elders. Apparently, we have one of these. Uh, tell us that you would like a name tag. That will be really helpful, uh, a name label. That will be really helpful for me uh, to know who you are. You'll probably see me look at your name label and go, oh, hello. <laughs> and um, I'm just so grateful to be here. Uh, I'm just so great. I feel like a kid uh, in his first day at school. Uh, and, and I just love the fact that uh, we can come together as a church uh, to come and open the word of God because that's, that's how God speaks to us. What, what an important moment we have before us. And Shirley read the passage so wonderfully. I'm going to test if this is working. David did warn me, don't turn it off. But I did turn it off. Um, <laughs> sure, okay, that works. And I, I apologize, you'll find that my sermons will have really boring title. So today's sermon is about Paul in Philippi. Um, look, the reason we're going through Acts chapter 16 are twofold. Uh, first of all, I, I want to give you an introduction. <clears throat> Uh, to the book of Philippians, to the letter to the Philippians. It's one of my favorite of Paul's letters. I love the theme, and you will find as you read through the letter to the Philippians, you'll find the theme of partnership in the gospel, uh, an encouragement to its mutual service. I I love the song about Christ in the middle, that Christ hymn in the middle of the letter, the very foundation of how we should be relating with one another. I love Paul's pronouncement about what life is all about. It's not about the aspirations of the middle class in Australia. To live, Paul says, is Christ. I love how he compared Jesus to the world. And when you compare the world to Jesus, everything else is rubbish. And all of that is done in the context of suffering and persecution. Paul said all those things, in, in, not in the context of comfort, not in the context of being happy and having everything you, you want, but it's in the context of suffering and persecution, finding contentment in the right place. So I'm really looking forward to teaching and learning together uh, the great insight of the gospel in this wonderful part of the Bible. But secondly, the reason I'm doing Acts chapter 16 Well, the real reason is I can't fit Philippians in 10 weeks or nine weeks, so I had to add one more thing, so I added this. Uh, But also, there's there's a real reminder of a fundamental truth in Acts chapter 16, a a, a simple but very important gospel truth that we get from Acts chapter 16, something that we together as a church, as as we begin this, this journey together, that we together as a church, we just desperately need to hear. Honestly, it's something that I 
desperately need to hear as well as I begin my ministry in Epping. And whatever your circumstances in life is, whether you are a Christian or not, it's also something that you need to hear. Something that will make all the difference, I think. It, it, it affects the way you think of yourself. Uh, it affects the way you will handle disappointment. It will affect the way you treat other people. It is that important. But let's pause and pray and ask God to help us before we look at this passage again. Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, please be with us. Please continue speaking to us as you have spoken to us in the songs, in the prayer, and as we read your Bible together. Continue speaking to us now as the Bible is expounded. Please be with us, Lord. Change our hearts. Please help us see the hope of the gospel. Help, help us to rejoice. Help us to hold on to Jesus. And we know you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles. I will have all the text up on the screen, and that's really to help those who are not familiar with the Bible, those who are new amongst us. If you're new, welcome. I am new too, so let's be friends. But to all of us, uh, let me encourage you to have your Bibles open um, so that we can kind of go through it together. When we come to a, a portion of the Bible, any Bible passage, I, I think one of the most important questions to ask is, what, what is the genre of that passage? So if you would ask that question of Acts chapter 16, what is the genre of Acts chapter 16? Well, it's a narrative, really. This is a really important question because the way we understand a passage depends on its genre. Uh, well, if you want to be specific, Acts 16 is a historical narrative. That, that means it, it actually happens in history. It's not a story that someone made up. Uh, but it's also a theological narrative because it's written to teach something, to teach theology. So if it's a narrative, then you'll be talking about characters and setting and, and plot. We need to pay attention to these things. Now, we're not going to go through all of those things today because this is not a Bible lecture. This is a sermon. But I want us to consider as we go through the passage this one very important question. Who do you think is the main character? As, you re as we read together Acts chapter 16, who, who do you think is the main character? Who is the hero in the passage? Or if you want to put it another way, whose story is it? My son currently, Micah, he's reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The, the main character isn't Dumbledore. It's not even Hermione. It's really the story of Harry Potter. And as we read through the passage, who do you think it is? Whose story is this? Now, if you're kind of thinking, well, obviously it's Paul, and not just Paul, Paul and his companions, well, he definitely looms large in this passage, doesn't he? In fact, he looms large in this part of the book of Acts. Even from the beginning, we're told about Paul and his companion, Silas, Timothy, and also, I wonder if you notice, this is the, the part in the book of Acts where it's, he starts talking about in the first person plural, we did this, this happened to us, because the author was actually part of Paul's companion at this point, Luke, the doctor. 
It's a record of Paul's missionary journey, uh, the miraculous way that they arrived at the city of Philippi and and what happened there. You, You could be right, maybe. Maybe this is a story about Paul. This is Paul's story. He's the hero of the story. Well, let's have, have a look at the book, uh, the Bible again together from verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, the text doesn't quite tell us exactly, if you notice, how the Spirit kept Paul from preaching the word in the province of Asia, if you notice in verse 6. It doesn't tell us how the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to pass in verse 7. We're just not told. We don't know. It could have been a miraculous appearance. Maybe an angel appeared and said, you shall not pass. Or maybe it was a flood. Maybe it was raining so hard and the council decided to close the road. But whatever the reason, in the end, in hindsight maybe, they attributed it to the Spirit's doing. They realized it was the Spirit who stopped them. But something miraculous did happen and we read that Paul had a vision. During the night, verse nine, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. He had a vision of a European man begging him, come, help us, we need the gospel. Now, it's really important to note, this is someone probably very different from anyone Paul had ever preached to before. He's been preaching around the province of Asia, that's modern-day Turkey, probably around near the Middle East, near Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem outwards. And he was actually planning to head towards back there. He he wanted to go back to the province of Asia and and the, the Middle East area, but the Spirit wanted them to go to Europe, to head west. Now, it's quite appropriate at, at this point if you think, well, Paul must be the main character in this passage. He certainly looms large. But maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's Lydia. Because as the narrative continues, Paul and his friends finally arrived in Philippi, the first European city. This is a momentous event. This is the first European city Paul visited with the gospel. Usually they would make a beeline to the local synagogue, but at at Philippi, I suspect that there were so few Jews, there were not enough Jews, and there were not enough Jewish men, or Yahweh-fearing Gentiles, that there were no synagogues to visit. But there was a group of women. They were God-fearers. They worshiped Yahweh. And they were meeting by the river every Sabbath. They were godly women who knew the name of Yahweh. 
And so Paul decided with his friends to go there and meet these women. And one of them was Lydia. Turn with me to verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She was not Jewish, but she knew the name of Yahweh and she was worshiping God. Now, we don't hear about all of the other women, but here is one Greek woman. She heard the gospel. And notice the Lord opened her heart in verse 14, and she believed, and she was completely transformed. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, notice how she's describing herself now. I am a believer just as you are. Come and stay at my house, she said, and she persuaded us. Immediately she opened her home to these really strangers, but they're not strangers anymore. Something had happened that had changed Lydia. They became her brothers. Now maybe Lydia is the main character, a godly religious woman someone who knew that there was something bigger than herself. And because she was a worshiper of Yahweh, and she had probably read the Old Testament, maybe she had been waiting for the Messiah too. At the induction, someone told me, Darwin, welcome, it's wonderful that you are here. We've been waiting for you to come so long, it's been so long, it's like waiting for the Messiah, they said. And at night, I was lying in bed, and I turned to my wife, and I retold that story to my wife, Deb, and I said to her, I'm really worried now. I think they're planning to crucify me. <laughs> Lydia wasn't waiting for a minister, but she might have been waiting for the Messiah, and imagine how she felt when he, she heard about Jesus the one who died and rose again. God opened her heart and her life changed. She, by the way, was the first Christian convert in Europe. It is most likely that the church met in her house. Maybe Lydia is the main character. Or maybe it's the slave girl. Because as the narrative continues, we meet another person, the slave girl. Turn with me to verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, because they would go there every Sabbath to meet with these God worshippers, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Uh, that spirit by which she predicted the future, literally it, is, it actually says the spirit of a serpent. It's a spirit of divination. This is someone who had been used and abused, not only by evil, an evil spirit, but also by people who would take advantage of her for financial gain. This is someone who's broken, who could be at the end of her ropes, who has nowhere to go with no hope. How can she escape her situation? Maybe this is 
about her. Maybe she's the main character of the story. Maybe this is a real story about liberation from bondage, hope, when you are at your darkest point. Because she was liberated, verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. She was freed, liberated from a demonic oppression. Maybe this passage is about her. There's something funny about this passage. I wonder if you noticed. Did you notice how Paul cast out the spirit because he was annoyed? Did you notice? It wasn't that Paul saw this girl and he felt compassion over her. It it wasn't because Paul saw this this girl and decided, I'm going to show the city who Jesus is. He was annoyed at her. That is very odd to me. That is really, really weird. Anyway, maybe this passage is about her, the story of freedom from demonic oppression. Or maybe it's about the jailer. Do you remember the jailer as we read through the passage? Now, before we get to the jailer, you you need to know that after the slave girl had been freed and liberated, the owners weren't particularly happy, so they lost their income. They got Paul and Silas arrested, beaten up, thrown into prison, and then in the middle of the night... Turn with me to verse 25. They started singing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, you might think that verse 26 is where the miracle is. I think verse 25 is where the miracle is. What on earth could create such fortitude in Paul and Silas, such resilience in the midst of suffering? What on earth can make someone sing hymns while they are in prison, beaten up? Maybe Paul and Silas is the main character after all. But we're still talking about the jailer, so let's continue on. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, that night, the jailer was rescued, was saved, not just in his life, physical life here on earth, but also his soul for all eternity. Now, this is a guy who took his job seriously. Right, And when he failed at his job, he felt that he had no recourse but to kill himself. I wonder if you know people like that, whose life is their job. But God saved him, 
that night. God saved his household that night. But here's something that's really odd too. As you were reading, I wonder if you noticed it. I don't know what moved him to ask that question in verse 30. Do you see that question in verse 30? What must I do to be saved? Why, why ask that question? I felt that it's just so jarring at that moment. What made him think of his eternal salvation? I mean, it would have been okay if you asked, what songs were you singing? What caused the earthquake? Who are you? But there and then he asked a strange question. What must I do to be saved? Was it Paul's kindness that made him think of his eternal salvation? Was he in shock after the earthquake and that near-death experience? Was it Paul's singing? Wouldn't it be great if our singing can make people ask that question? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? People will come in and they hear us sing and they will go, what must I do to be saved? Or maybe just a thought, the jailer was there. In one of those days when the slave girl with the serpent spirit was yelling out, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Do you remember that, verse 17? I like to imagine he was standing on that road one day and he heard that slave girl said these things. Maybe he was there. And then Paul told him the gospel and the jailer believed he and his whole household. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately, immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, again, another life completely changed by the gospel. Who's the main character? What do you think? Who is that? Oh, Vivra. Holy Spirit. Is it Paul? The apostle, the missionary, miracle worker, midnight singer. Was it Lydia, the religious woman who finally found the one true God, the slave girl? the victim of abuse freed from demonic bondage, or the jailer, the man whose job was literally his life. Viva's right, by the way. The good news for us is the spirit is the main character. God is the main character in, in this passage. In fact, he's the main character in, in the book of Acts. Let me bring you back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, just very quickly. Luke wrote these words in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, which is the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, I wrote all 
about all that Jesus, did you notice this word, began to do and to teach. That's the first book. Now, he, he didn't say this explicitly, but I think what he meant by that, in this book, I'm going to write about what Jesus, in, by his spirit, continued to do. But it's not just here, it's actually throughout, hinted throughout our passage today. Did you notice how the Spirit basically led Paul to Philippi? You know, often people use this passage as an example of how to be led by God, as if Paul was this great model of following God's guidance. And don't get me wrong, it was, it was wonderful that he obeyed God, but I don't think that's the point. And actually, as I read this bit, I wonder if God had given him that vision because Paul just didn't get it. He was, he was so clueless, he, he didn't get any of the hints that God had to give him a vision. He got blocked once, he, they still didn't realize where he needed to go, so God blocked him again, still no response, still trying to go east, so God had to give him a vision, very explicit. I was on the phone with an internet company one time, and this person on the phone, the staff, part of their job, started offering me a great mobile phone deal, he said. I said, and I said to him, look, I'm really happy with my plan right now. But he kept on going. He didn't get the hint, you see. And then I said, no, I, I don't need a bigger plan. I'm, I'm actually very satisfied. Again, he still kept on going. He still didn't get the hint. I, I, I finally had to interrupt him and say, look, I don't want to waste your time. I really am not interested. I wonder if that's what's happening here. But can you see how God is the main actor? Oh, here's another hint. When Paul preached the gospel to the women by the river, did you notice God there? It wasn't Paul who opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. Or when the slave girl kept yelling, these men are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And then Paul got so annoyed and he turned around and cast the demon out. That just came out of nowhere, right? Completely unplanned. Paul probably just wanted to keep his head down, didn't want to cause any trouble, just wanted to get to the river because that's the saved people. That's the people that he wants to preach to, preach the gospel to. But God had a different plan. I think it's because God wanted Paul in prison that night. So the jailer who might have been standing there hearing what this girl had been saying would ask that very important question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? God was working towards saving this jailer. Did you see that? Did you see the hands of God at work in, in each and every one of these scenes, in, in everything that has happened here in Acts chapter 16? Can you see how the Spirit of God is the hero, the main character of this passage, moving the story forward the way he wanted it to? But here's a even more important question, what does it matter if God is the main character in this passage? Well, it changes the main point of the passage, doesn't it? 
It changes the most important thing that we are to learn from this passage. This passage is not about the power of singing. Get that right. It's not about the power of singing, whether hymn or, or modern songs. It's not. I was working one night and I decided to grab my guitar and started singing. And my wife yelled from up top and said, can you be quiet, please? It's definitely not what I had in mind. And this passage is also not about the appropriate time and mental state to cast out demons. It's not about that. It's, I don't think it's even about how to be led by God or how to listen to the Spirit's leading. I don't think it's about that. When we realize that the hero of the, this passage is God, that he is the main character, we, we learn something different. We see God's passion to save people. That he is at work, that everything is happening so that he could save people. Even through characters like Paul who gets annoyed, he is using them to save people. He's using everything to save people. We see how God is at work even in desperate situations like being beaten up and sent to prison, that God is at work to save people. We see what is in God's heart. Now that's different, right? Here's another question. And I want you to think about it for a while. What difference will it make to our church? It's great to be able to say that. To our church, if we believe that God is the main character of our story too. Of our lives here together too. What difference would that make? I'm going to give you two suggestions. I think one thing very obviously, we'll be passionate for the gospel. We will have a passion for people to be saved. We, we will want the gospel to go out so that we can save as many people as, as possible. See, if this is Paul's story, we'll be trying to copy Paul, singing hymns that can cause earthquakes, trying to figure out how to be led by God or to cast out demons when we're annoyed. But those are not the point of the passage. If this is God's story, you can see it, can't you? You can see what is in God's heart. You can see what he is doing, what, what he is on about leading Paul to Europe, taking him to the, that place of prayer by the river, getting him to the point of being annoyed, putting him in prison, and all of that so that God could save people. God wants to save religious people like Lydia. God wants to save people who are down and out, who's been used and abused and broken in every way. God wants to save them. God wants to save people whose job is their life, who's got no other hope. God wants to save Europeans and Indians and Asians and people from the Middle East.
He wants to save you and me. And around 30,000 people who live here in the suburb of Epping. And probably around half a million people who live within 15 to 20 minutes drive of Epping. He wants to save aspirational middle class who are paying off million dollar mortgages so that they can buy a home close to the good schools around this area. Well, because that's important for their children. He wants to save the thousands of kids going to school every day. And then after that, going to tutoring and doing extracurricular activities, hoping to get into OC classes, hoping to get into selective schools. He wants to save the lady who cuts your hair, the man who makes your coffee, your next door neighbor whom you've known for 20 years. He wants to save your husbands, your wives, your children who do not know the Lord. If God is the main character of our story, wow, it makes a difference, doesn't it? And if God is the main character in our church's story, it will make a big difference too in our church. It will push us to the edges of our comfort zone so people can be saved. So that people who are different from us can be saved. Carol Pitcher this morning said hello to me and she said, Darwin, I hope you make many, many changes. Even once, and this is the important part, even once that I'm not comfortable with. Praise the Lord for her. Amen to that. Isn't it? I'm not going to make many changes. Don't worry. We'll do it slowly. We'll talk to people. And when we do make changes, I want us as a church to be doing it together because we want people to be saved. Because we see outside many souls will be lost if Jesus were to return today. I want us, when we do make changes, we go, we do this for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus. Yes, I am being pushed out of my comfort zone, but that is okay because I am passionate about what God is passionate about. Saving people like Lydia and that slave girl and that jailer and whoever else is out there who is, who, who is just waiting to ask that question, what must I do to be saved? Wow, it would make a difference in our church, wouldn't it? Here's another way that it'll make a big difference. We'll, we'll happily be supporting characters. When I left Kingsway, that's my old church, I had a moment of, of anxiety. Thinking to myself, oh, what's going to happen to my church? If I am leave, it's, it's all going to fall apart. What's going to happen to it? I shouldn't leave. I shouldn't go. But then it suddenly hit me. Wow, I'm really full of myself. I'm so full of myself. I'm thinking that I'm the hero of the story. I'm thinking I'm the main character. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm the Messiah. But I'm not. God is the hero. 
I'll happily be a supporting character. Someone else said to me the other day, I think as an encouragement, they said, Darwin, it's so wonderful that you are here finally today. And they said, if God can make a donkey talk, he can bring Darwin to Epping. Which is great, right? Like, I've never been compared to a donkey before. But I'll take it. Because it's okay, because I will happily be a donkey in God's story. Because when God is in charge, it is good when it is his story it will have the greatest happy ending that we can ever imagine. In fact, it's, we can't even imagine it. He's working out a good story and I will happily be part of that story. Because let me tell you, being the hero in your own story is crushing. It is horrible. The world tells you that it will liberate you. The world tells you, you are the hero of your own story. You gotta make your own happy ending. You have to write your own story. It depends on you, all on you. Your successes, your failures, it's all on you. It's exhausting. And that is why there are books and books and books and podcasts after podcasts about how to better your life, how to get what you want, and it never ends because they never get it. It is exhausting and more often than not, we end up being crushed by the weight of it all. If your future is solely on your shoulders, you will be crushed. If I'm the hero of this ministry, if ministry fails, then it's my fault. I'm responsible. But of course, I'm not gonna allow that, so what, I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna be a workaholic. I'm gonna work as hard as possible. I'm gonna work seven days a week, and my family will suffer, and then I will get really, really grumpy with people because they're stopping me from getting to my happy ending, and I'll start blaming people. I'll start treating them as tools to be used to get what I want. As one very famous minister once said, and he's really a bully, he said, you, in our church, you either get on the bus or we will run you over. And that statement is just so incredulous. I mean, at the very least, you stop the bus and you let people off in a nice place. You find a bus stop at least. At least you find them another bus they can get on. No. Because he is the main character. He is the hero. If you're not on the bus, I'm going to run you over. But look, you, you replace ministry with any other situation of life. Replace that with your career, the happiness of your family. If you are the main character, I'm afraid often that will be the same result. We don't have to be the hero. The Bible tells a different story. It tells us that God is the main character and that's a good thing, a good thing because he's bringing us to the greatest happy ending. He has slain our greatest enemy. He has risen from the dead and the greatest ending is just around the corner. We just have to wait. He's made room for all of us to share in that great ending. That's why God is so passionate about the gospel because he wants people to be a part of it. That's why he saved that slave girl and Lydia and the jailer. That's why Paul was sent to Europe. That's why you, are here. So that you too can be there when God reaches the last chapter of this story.
We don't have to be the hero. We can just rest in him. We can just follow him. We can trust him and we can obey his word. You know why Paul and Silas were singing hymns in prison? Even in their most desperate situation, just got beaten up, close to death, put at the deepest part of the prison. They were singing hymns because they know this is God's story. Paul's not the main character. And when God is in charge, it will lead to a good ending. No matter what happens in the world, no matter how, what dark valleys we need to walk through, no matter how vast the desert we need to cross, or how long the time of our wandering will be, or how big the storm that will come in our lives. Jesus had overcome it all, and we will join him in his final victory. If you are not yet a Christian today, you are welcome here. But we don't want you to just be here. We want you there when Jesus returns. So keep coming, keep hearing the gospel, keep finding out about Jesus. Believe in Jesus, live for him, and you will be saved. Let me pray. A gracious heavenly father, a gracious heavenly father, we're so grateful that you are our God, that, that this is your story. We give you thanks that today you've given us a glimpse of what's in your heart and what you're passionate about and help us to be a church that is like that too. We pray, Father Lord, that we will be like you, passionate about the gospel, that we will be like you, that we would love one another as you have loved us, that we would care for one another as you have cared for us. Help us to let go of being in charge. Help us to let go of thinking that we are the hero of our own story, that we, we have to be in control of everything. Help us to be, just be part of your story, to do what you call us to do, to obey your word, to trust in you, to let you take us to that great final ending when Christ returns. We give you thanks that you are this God, a God who'd come to save us. Help us to hold on to your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.